this episode, please consider making a donation to the podcast via Venmo to the username at NQCATX. Hello and welcome to Next Quest Podcast, where I ask your potential therapist questions so you don't have to. I am your host, Noah S. Garcia, Licensed Professional Counselor Supervisor. Today, I welcome to the show Lisa Wheeler, Licensed Professional Counselor, who will be discussing her practice in an area of specialty clients with non-ordinary experiences. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this episode. Um, Me too. So tell us, what are your credentials and experience? Um, Well, like you, I am a licensed professional counselor um, and, you know, master's of arts. And yeah, those are my credentials. Where'd you go to school? Um, I went to TCU for undergrad and I was a um, special education major. And I, so I was a teacher from my first career. I worked in um, a um, special ed classroom in middle school. And then I went to St. Edwards to get my master's in counseling. Cool. So uh, does your practice have a name or is it your name or what is, uh, what is it there? Well, the, um, the name of my website, just the web address is Lisa Wheeler therapy. But when you go to it, I actually kind of, I mean, I guess sort of the non-formal name for my practice is resilience therapy. Okay. Yeah. So do you accept insurance in your practice? If so, which ones, if not, why not? I do not accept insurance. Um, I don't think I could even keep up with with that, um, with that gig. Yes. And, um, I tend to not be great at like super technical things. Um, and so I just opted, opted not to, um, now that being said, I do leave, um, a certain number of appointments for sliding scale. And I also have one uh, client that's totally pro bono. So that's how I accommodate, um, you know, different financial situations. So is it a like true sliding scale or would it be more of like a reduced fee? 
Um, it's a reduced fee. I do have kind of a formal, um, it's on my website. I do offer, um, um, students, um, and definitely people who are, um, going through the counseling program and interning a pretty reduced rate of $85. So, yeah. And then, um, right now I'm sliding from my regular weight is 150 and then I can slide to 120. Okay, cool. Cool. Do you have any weekend or evening appointments? Not right now. Occasionally I will do something on the weekends. Um, I do work with families and I have made kind of special exceptions for like, if that's the one time, then everybody can get together and we will kind of just, you know, knock it out in several hours sometimes. Um, but no, otherwise, um, you don't, you don't want to see me on weekends or nights because I'm (laughs) it's just not my best time either to work. So yeah. Makes it's sense. Pretty typical hours. Yeah. Okay. And you mentioned that being a special education teacher was your first career, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, cool. How long did you do that for? Not very long. <laughs> um, at three years, I think. Um, that's, that's in addition to the student teaching portion. But yeah, mm-hmm. it... Um, you know, looking back on it, I absolutely loved the kids and I loved the work. It was working in a school setting. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't very comfortable for me and it, and it, I felt it, it, it was just, not, it, I didn't vibe with it. I, that's all mm-hmm. I can kind of say. So I can, I can, I, I can get with the, that, but I did love the, the job and I loved working with those kids. Um, and I do think it definitely kind of bleeds into like the way that I do therapy as well. So mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. What drew you to being a therapist? I have wanted to be a therapist for a, quite a long time. Um, I starting in, I think middle school or high school, I was very drawn to pretty dense, like books that were like character heavy, um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I, I mean, I read one floor over the cuckoo's nest, I think when I was in eighth or ninth grade and I did a book report on it. And I was just like, this is so fascinating. Um, just kind of mental illness and people with those kinds of, of mental issues, um, have always been fascinating. And yeah, I just, I love those books. Like, um, gosh, like trying to think of, I mean, Donna Tartt's one of my favorite writers. She wrote, um, the secret history. I mean, you like the books that really, really get you into the characters. Like those are my favorite books. And, um, I remember telling a really good friend of mine's mom way back when that, and this is so clear. I just remember being like, if I could do anything with my life, I would be a therapist. Um, so I've just, it's always, it's kind of, it's been with me for a while. I just needed to I definitely wasn't ready to do it after, you know, my bachelor's, I needed to definitely grow up some and to kind of prepare for it. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like what, what are your hobbies, interests, TV shows you're watching, music you're listening to, pets, kids, et cetera. Oh goodness. Okay. Well, I do have two kids. Um, they're teenagers. So I have my hands very, very full. Um, I have <laughs> a 15 year old boy and an 18 year old girl. Um, we are a two household family. So, um, the kids go kind of back and forth between uh, my house and their dads. And we're on great terms, by the way. 
Um, so that's been pretty good for everybody. Um, we are very pet heavy. Um, my kids just are really good, like with animals around them a lot. Um, I am too. We have two dogs, um, two cats. We just got a kitten that kind of came to us. Um, and we have four guinea pigs and (laughs) three rats and a snake. It's like a whole farm over here. Is it uh, (laughs) like a ball python or? You know, I can't remember that what it is. My son bought it with his Christmas money and I don't really have much to do with the snake. It's fine. It like wraps around my arm sometimes and it's pretty cool. Um, that sounds familiar. Um, but I don't really remember. I don't remember what kind it is. Um, yeah. Other questions. What uh, could, could that be like a, like a, a snake assisted therapy? Like, (laughs) Oh yeah. No, I, um, I hadn't thought of the snake actually, Noah, I was actually thinking more. I do bring, um, one of my dogs to therapy sometimes, um, we're a dog friendly office. So, um, I have one client who always brings, um, their dog in as well. And I'm cool with that. So, um, I want I really want to bring a Guinea pig or two in at some point. They are very, I had no idea that they're very calming animals. And they're very sweet and they'll just kind of, you know, sit there with you and make their cute little noises. And, oh, I mean, it just gives me <laughs> all the good chemicals. So I haven't gotten there yet. They're still babies and we're still trying to sort of figure out like what we're doing with them. So I'd be a little nervous with the guinea pigs and the snake. <laughs> You'd be nervous with the guinea pigs, what? And, and the snake. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and the rats, dinner. Uh, oh no, I wouldn't bring rats, but <laughs> no, the rats are cute. They're pretty, they're pretty easy. Low rats are cool pets and they're really yeah. smart. Yes, they are. Yeah. So let's see, that's my home life. Um, I love, I I'm always reading. I have several books going at a time. Um, I love anything from, um, like I like stories about magic. Um, so I love fiction. I love historical fiction, um, my favorite book is the night circus. I've read it about four times. Um, I just listened to it on audio. It's a great audio book. Um, you know, and I also, of course, just like you probably have like several therapy type books going. Um, oh yeah. Yes. Um, so I love reading and I love watching movies. Um, I love ghost stories. Like I love the whole paranormal kind of genre, like mystery stuff. Um, I love comedy. Um, on Friday nights, I usually cook dinner and I have something really funny on and drink wine and be silly. Um, what else do I do? Uh, I love swimming. I love traveling. Um, yeah, just kind of just, oh, and just being with my friends, um, hanging Mm -hmm. out, going to dinner. Yeah. I'm pretty low key. Um, oh, and I love, I love going to concerts. So I've I've definitely been missing movies and concerts during this whole COVID thing. So, um, you mentioned music. I pretty much like any kind. Um, I have classical music playing all the time in my bedroom. Um, and, uh, I would say the only kind of music I'm not, I don't really like so much is I'm not a big rap fan, but my gosh, my kids are so, um, (laughs) Um, and the new country, not, not keen on new country. Gotcha. Gotcha. But old country is awesome. 
yeah, like Hank Williams, Johnny Cash, those yes. those good old days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I, I'm also very interested in, in parapsychology. Um, it's been a, an interest of mine since I was a little kid. And yeah. um, I'm currently rewatching all the old seasons of Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. Um, it's on the Peacock Network for free. Oh, my goodness. I didn't even know that that existed. Yeah. That sounds cool. I, yeah, I love Robert Stack's voice. Well. Yeah. Yes, me too. It's so soothing to go to sleep. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I love a good mystery. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was also a Nancy Drew kid. Um, mm-hmm. Hardy Boys, all the all the mysteries. Yes. Yeah. Um, so getting back to your practice, what modalities do you draw upon? Well, I think first and foremost, I definitely do a lot of just like improvisation, working in the moment. Um, that's kind of like my you know, that always kind of trumps anything else, just really trying to meet the client where they are and like what I think there would be helpful to supporting them. Um, And so of course, you know, um, I, you know, definitely attachment um, Mm -hmm. based. um, I do consider myself just a trauma informed human being in general. So always very um, conscious of, being, um, a very direct and clear and, um, therapist with grace. Um, I don't know where that came from, but, (laughs) um, definitely existential. Um, and then I actually started to, I started studying, um, transpersonal psychology because that Mm -hmm. really, um, spoke to me just in, in my own experiences, um, which is, it's kind of like that, you know, whole like beyond the, the, the humanness realm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Very cool. Yeah. So, and, can then, you oh, do- and then family systems for sure. Cause I oh, yeah. do a lot of like helping teens and parents and families. So that, that of course ties, ties in. Yeah, absolutely. So can you define what non-ordinary experiences are and the different ways in which they may present? Yes. So not ordinary experiences um, in my definition just means anything that kind of falls outside the cultural norms. Um, so that could mean like the person is hearing voices, seeing visions, um, you know, feels like they can hear people's thoughts, telepathy, um, you know, very vivid, lucid dreaming, um, kind of where they feel like they're still in dreams when they wake up. Um seeing ghosts, you know, any of that, any of those kinds of experiences, quite frankly, that people are afraid to talk about because other people would say, you, I think you're hallucinating or you need to go to the, you know, (laughs) you need to go to the mental hospital. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Yeah. mm -hmm. Um, What sorts of issues regarding those things? I mean, other than that can be quite alarming and scary, I'd imagine. Yeah. Um, What sorts of issues do those, those things cause for people? What sorts of issues just, I mean, I think it just is something that can really startle people and until you experience something like that, you really don't have a, 
you don't really know how you're going to be because you just can't imagine it because it's almost like you're existing kind of in almost in a, in a different way than you were before. And so mm-hmm. it's, you know, um, everybody's got sea legs when it comes to that. Um, so it can be for some people very destabilizing. Um, and, you know, and then it just sometimes like all that stress just, you know, can almost just be like pouring gasoline on top of it. Um, yeah, I, I would say to answer your question, I mean, just a lot of anxiety, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So it sounds like anxiety is a common and clinical focus then. Yes, definitely. Okay. I mean, an- anxiety and then, you know, isolation too, just because you, a lot of people feel like there's something wrong with them. They're weird. They're crazy. They don't want to tell anybody. So there's a lot of kind of hiding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How did you come about specializing in working with this population and what got you interested in working with clients presenting with not ordinary experiences? Um, I had, um, I had some of those experiences myself. Um, and it was, I, I would, I definitely would categorize it as a, a, it was a very, um, loud. And by, I mean, loud, I just mean it was very, um, pronounced, um, very sudden, um, very destabilizing for me. I just started having them almost from one day to the next. And, um, and it lasted for the heavy part of it, you know, where it was going on all the time, kind of in all ways, um, went on for maybe six months. Um, and then, and then it kind of started to slide down into a lot of, a lot of like very, very serious depression, um, after that. And, um, then I perked back up a little bit when I found a really great therapist that I felt comfortable with, um, which I just needed so very badly. And, um, and I, and they actually, some of those experiences started to come back, but they were softer, they were more manageable and I could talk to her about them. And that continued for a few years. Um, and now I really just don't have them anymore. Um, so or it's just my experiences like that are very different. Yeah. Um, and so when I was going through that, I really did not know where to turn because, um, it, it was just, it was not subtle. It was like something was screaming at me and it was or trying to get my attention and it was, um, really, really intense. And I was just like, I don't know how I can talk to like a regular therapist about this. Cause I'm afraid they're going to say that I'm nuts, but I know I'm not nuts, but they might think I'm nuts. And what if they have me committed? And, um, so I actually went the kind of like the new age route with it. Well, you know, I ran into some really beautiful and helpful people. And then I ran into some really, really harmful people, um, that, that really unfortunately made my experience far more serious than it actually needed to be and made things a lot worse for me. So, um, I I can go more into that at some point, but, um, that's really important for like the way that I work. I'm, I'm pretty clear on what to do and what not to do because of that, that issue that I had with those, 
with those kind of new age light workers, I guess I would call them. So, well, tell, so, us, tell us a little bit about that, like what to do and yeah. what not to do. Yeah. So, I mean, um, so I really wanted to, um, as I was going through my own healing process from all of that, I, um, I real I realized, I mean, I really want, I saw like kind of a gap in the, like in the, I guess the industry. Cause I, and I, um, cause I really didn't, I mean, my, my therapist that helped me, you know, a lot, she was a, she was a psychologist, but she'd also had some, um, kind of some different experiential training type stuff, like where she, I think she did some shamanic type of work with somebody out of the country. Um, so she had some, she had some training that I guess is more like not as typical for therapists. So, um, you know, here I come with my own set of experiences that I experienced and I, and I was able to work through them and thrive. So I wanted to sort of be this in-between person that could help people through those kinds of experiences, um, that was actually, you know, clinically trained, but I also had that more of that edgy side to myself where I could handle, I mean, I knew kind of like how to work with like the energetic components of some of that, mm-hmm. those non-ordinary experiences. So yeah. what would you recommend to do and not to do? <laughs> um, well, this is a hard and fast rule of mine and um, is, you know, how do I just, I hate, I don't like the word psychic very much. Cause I feel like there's so, that's a very loaded word, but, um, I am a, you know, in the highly sensitive kind of empath category of personalities. And so when I went through all of that, um, that's kind of what fed in, you know, to, to the intensity of it. And, um, I definitely have a kind of a psychic side to myself. Um, and, but I've, but I have a kind of a special way that I use it. Um, I certainly don't read people or do anything like that. And I don't see anything w- wrong with that per se. Um, I actually think it's really cool to go to mediums and I went to one not too long ago and it was very helpful. Um, but that's not a part of what I do. I just, um, my way of working with it's very quiet. Um, my hard and fast rule with it is that, um, say I get like a kind of a hit or an instinct on something like that. And I, and it prompts a question. I'm like, could it be this or this, you know, and I'll just sort of present it to the client. And, um, they always, always, always have the right to say, no, that's not it. That's, that doesn't make any sense to me. And I make that really clear in the sessions, um, because it, it, um, it has to resonate with them you know, and Mm -hmm. it's not about me being right or wrong or whatever. I'm just trying to kind of like be like the, help them explore what these things could mean. So, um, I, I am very careful about not projecting anything into like what they're going through. So Mm -hmm. an example is that, and, 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 you know, maybe, maybe I'll feel or know things about the person. Like there's one woman I'm thinking of that I really suspected that she had been, um, molested and like early in her life. And I, but I just held it and, um, and eventually like, and she, and she had a lot of like 
non-ordinary experiences herself, but I, I could kind of sense out, like, I think that's what some of this is, is some of that stuff coming to light. But I mean, it was like, we worked with each other for like two years before she realized it herself. And then um, it was much more, it was not as startling. It was, I mean, she was ready to kind of deal with it and it wasn't mm -hmm. so jarring. And so my point being is that I, I don't think it's good care, good, good compassionate care to, to really even like, if I'm so sure say, you know what, I really think that, you know, so, you know, you were harmed in this way, um, whether it's true or not, I just don't think that, I think that that, in my opinion, is, does a lot of harm because mm -hmm. I know that you've probably been trauma trained, but it's like, you know, the body knows what it can handle, what it can't. And if it's, right. and if it's not ready to come up, you know, then, then there's some part that's not quite ready. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just, I, I'm really careful about the, uh, just the, the projective part of the, of the, of the working with the intuition. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So how does one go about treating a client with non-ordinary experiences when most people would attribute the symptom set to like psychosis? Well, and sometimes it is. So I have worked with, um, and I, I, I see, um, people from 12 and over. Um, I've had a few teens come in with psychosis or even schizophrenia diagnosis, which I'm appalled that somebody would diagnose somebody with schizophrenia who was 15. But um, I just don't, I think their brains are just still so pliable. And, and um, you know, it's, it just, I'm not a, I'm not a big supporter of doing, making those kinds of grand claims at that age. But um so it doesn't really matter what it is to me um, as far as like, is it psychosis? Is it, who knows what it is? Is it just their thoughts are super animated and like they hear talking and that's just the way their brain works. Like, or, you know, it's something weird going on in their house. I mean, it can be any of those things, but we work together on it um, just to try to sort of tease out what it is and what are we going to do about it? Um, mm -hmm. And it's a collaborative process. Um, I mean, sometimes if somebody is in like, you know, major crisis, I'll be a lot more, you know, um, direct or, you know, or I'll, you know, recommend, I don't even know if I've ever recommended. Well, yes, I did have to have like one of the clients had to go into like an inpatient type thing before, um, but yeah, I, and that's, I mean, my hope is too, that like, we're, we'll skip that part. The hope is that we can catch it before it just goes, spins out of control because, you know, when somebody is experiencing that kind of stuff and it's a lot, they're really vulnerable. And so when you're vulnerable and raw, like everybody else's fears just go right into you. And so it just makes, it can just make everything so much worse. Yeah, um, absolutely. I also ask about their spiritual orientation, like where, um, um, like what they believe in, if anything, like, you know, or what creates meaning for them. Um, that's really important. And, you know, no matter what it is, I do, you know, I try to respect that and kind of, you know, we, we will maybe use some of those, that kind of framework to sort of make sense of their experiences. So I really, I, I, again, it's kind of, I try to keep it, um, 
like um it's very individually like independent it sounds yes. like yeah right. and it's very personal too i mean spirituality to me is very personal and um and you know it's we all you know can feel very differently about it um mm-hmm. so i definitely incorporate that when i can but no it's it's more it's not that much different than what other therapists do like if they're working with any other kind of disorder or mental issue it's just you know it's just sitting with it um you know what does it feel like? I do do, I'm not somatic experienced trained, but I do know how to kind of work with the body. You know, we, um, you know, we'll work with some of the, like the emotions that are coming up, try to name them. Um, does it feel familiar? Does it feel not familiar? Like, what does it remind you of? What comes to mind? Are you seeing anything in your mind's eye? Like any number of those kinds of things, um, we'll work with. And again, it's, when it makes sense to them, it makes sense to them. It's not really mm-hmm. makes sense to me. So, right, right, yeah. It, in your experience, and, and I know that this is very individually based, and it's hard to give like a blanket answer. Um, but in your experience, what sorts of things would you say differentiate non ordinary experiences from psychosis? Just for practitioners out there who you know, would, would be interested in being able to, to maybe differentiate the two. It's really funny because that is like one of like the world's biggest questions. I mean, I've been in all kinds <laughs> know, of like spiritual forums and everybody's like, is it spiritual or is it psychosis? And, you know, there's always this kind of like this, you know, and there's people in one camp and there's people in another camp. And, um, so I really don't have the answer to that. It's more, um, I don't know. I feel like it can be very demeaning to say that it is psychosis when to me, it's like, I think what I, I, I err on this, on the, away from using that terminology, you know, or, or labeling, because I really don't think it like, if you just say psychosis, then you, you basically just like, oh my gosh, this person, like there's talking nonsense. Well, it's actually not nonsense. It's important information and like what they're reporting has meaning and it's important and you need to look at it because we don't know what in the world could have caused the psychosis. We don't know. I mean, you know, they could have some massive trauma or random trauma or who knows even what it is that is making them super paranoid, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, It's a hard question. It's I know. More, it is a hard <laughs> question. And I don't, and I don't really know that there's a definitive answer because as you know, like these things really can't be um, like, it's not like a test you can take. Right. So to right. Speak. But um, well, there is one. Okay. Here, here is one. Here is one difference. If someone is saying something that really just doesn't make sense, kind of like word salad. Like I remember this woman that I worked with and um, that was homeless. Um, I mean, she was just, she said something that couldn't possibly be true. It was something that didn't make any sort of sense. Well, yes, like that, that I guess that would be, disorder. yes, right. Um, but a lot of people, you know, in my opinion, that are, they're either labeled bipolar or, you know, or psychotic or whatever. I mean, there's more to it. It's not mm-hmm. that simple. And um, I do think it's important to look at, what they're actually experiencing 
and the stories that they tell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite things is working with people um, who have a tr- traditional diagnosis of schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder. Um, it's just like, even though somebody may be communicating to you in a way that is different from the way we would traditionally communicate with each other, there's still a message in their communication. Like, you got to read between the lines to figure out what is this person trying to say to me? What is it that they want? And there's always, if you can read between the lines, there's always a message there. And it's not to be dismissed. Like, you can't just be like, oh, I don't understand this person. I'm not going to pay attention to them. Like, no, they are telling you something very specific. You just have to read between the lines enough to know what it is. Right. And who's to say that if somebody tells me that they talk to like, you know, a purple dragon on the side of their bed every night, well, I don't know if that's true. It could be true. I mean, I don't, I don't act like, I don't, I don't pretend like I'm going to say that's not true. Well, because it really might be, I'm not them. And if it helps them, I mean, I would ask them, what's what is the dragon saying? Like, yeah. Is he cool? I don't know. I mean, you know, and if, um, because these things, these imaginary things, I say imaginary, I don't mean that they're imagining them. I'm saying like that they're, you know, mystical. They can, they can also be very helpful, um, to the person and they're there for a reason. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I would imagine, you know, just kind of as a, a result of, you know, people having non-ordinary experiences, that there's also probably a lot of shame and guilt to contend with regarding that ability or gift and maybe even guilt at the potential visions or um, dreams or, um, you know, things somebody could have access to. Very true. Yes. And I, you know, unfortunately, I feel like we have a long way to come in that way. Um, I think we go back and forth between being very dismissive of it and shaming of it. And then we have, you know, especially in Austin, we have, I'm sorry, but everybody acts like they're a guru and they're a spiritual master. And like, you know, there's that whole other kind of more narcissistic side to it. So, um, and they're, you know, it's very grandiose and, um, yeah, it, it's, I, I really hope to normalize some of these experiences because, I think that's what it needs to be. I, I don't, I don't think we need to like overly sensationalize it because it's just, I mean, it's a part of life. I mean, there's a lot of things that we know about in this world that we can't see, you know? And mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Yes. Have you noticed, what? this is a, an interesting, interesting question. And you, you again may or may not have an answer. Are there common triggers to having these sorts of experiences? Um, I, you know, it could be anything from, you know, somebody dies to just a a move. I mean, just some kind of big change, Mm -hmm. something, um, or, um, I, you know, in my own case, it was something's not right with me and I don't know what it is. Like I feel off and I don't know even how to express that or explain it but I felt very, very constricted and like, it it was vague. I was like, I was just like, what, what, what is going on? Um, Mm -hmm. 
So it could be, you know, just a, maybe like a sense like that, or, you know, something, something happens like, you know, I mean, it is, it is true that, you know, if you have some abuse history and you have children, um, you know, when the children get to be the age where you, you know, that, that, that when your abuse started, that can be a really huge trigger too. Um, I've seen that in several cases. Um, so, you know, it's that whole, like the body remembers and, and, uh, you know, kind of like you said, it's like, what's the underlying message? Like, what's, what is this person really trying to like communicate here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, through the, through these experiences that they're having? What are your thoughts on the medical model and what about medications? Um, I'm totally fine with medication. I, um, I think that there's definitely a time and a place for it. Um, I have taken medication several times in my life and it's actually been beneficial. Um, I, I do, um, I mean, there are like, as far as like schizophrenia and those kinds of, um, those kinds of issues, like the antipsychotics, I do tend to be like, oh, I wish I really, <laughs> it'd be great if they didn't need to be on those. So um, I, again, I'm not a doctor, so I don't know like all the specifics about antipsychotics, but what most people report is very, very flat effect. It like kind of just takes all the personality out of the person. And um, so, but no, I, um, I'm, I think medication and therapy go hand in hand. I think, I think that it can be, it can make a lot of sense for some people. Um, so, um, but the medical model, um, I do not have any DSM, uh, anything in my office or lobby. Um, I really, that, I don't know. I just find it to be so incomplete and, and, um, disrespectful in, in a way to the person's experiences, because all it is, is a bunch of symptom clustering and it doesn't really take into account, um, you know, the, the depth and nuance of the person's experience. So yeah, it's kind of, you know, and, and there, I think, I do believe that there's, I, well, and here's also, I'm also, here's a paradox. I'm also not against diagnoses. Like I, I think that realizing that you have ADHD and, or realizing that you have major depression, I mean, that's certainly really important information, you know, and it, it does kind of make it real to like get a piece of paper and be like, yes, that's what's, I, I knew that there was something going on. Mm-hmm. So in that way, um, it can really help validate somebody's experience so that they can, you know, move forward. But, um, one of the things that my therapist said that I, I use a lot is that she said, you know, a diagnosis is just where you are today. So it's kind of just like a stopping point. Like you, it's not like a life sentence. Mm -hmm. Um, now for things like autism and Asperger's and all of that, I mean, yeah, of course that makes a lot of sense. And some of those developmental disorders. Um, so I just, I'm such a, I'm a real stickler about, I don't like to put like limitations on people's experiences. And I really, Mm -hmm. that's what I feel like, you know, some of the DSM does is it's just like, oh, you're this and oh, you're Mm -hmm. this. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I think that's kind of your whole thing. 
Yeah. Right. Because yeah, I, you know, the whole term personality disorders. Um, I mean, I, I understand, but it's pretty offensive to say, <laughs> you know, and you know, when, when most of that is caused from, you know, just really major needs not being met really early in life. So, um, I mean, I may not want to be best friends with that person or something, but yeah, like they're, they're suffering. Um, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. What do you attribute non-ordinary experiences to? <laughs> to me, the simplest way to attribute them is that it, it indicates some kind of stress. And I don't mean like stress, like, oh, I'm stressed out about that test stress. I'm talking about could be any kind of stress, like meaning like something's overwhelming the system, something either, you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, a very sensitive person in a very too open of an environment for them, whether it's, you know, a, a um, unhealthy family dynamic that's causing stress, whether it's neglect oriented, whether it's, um, something going on even in the body, um, like an illness, um, or, you know, I often just say, I mean, like I have like my thoughts talk, you know, I just, that's just me. And so oftentimes I'll know, you know, when I'm stressed because I'll, you know, it's not the same as when I had all the stuff back then, but like, I just kind of have that kind of a brain. So it's just like, hmm, like, oh yeah, I hear, I hear that. Thank you. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's like an overwhelming of something. It's like a signal. And even in cases where there's like a haunting in the house or something, again, it's, it's overwhelm in the area or something, um, you know, and it could be, to, you know, a thin place, you know, like a place where maybe the energy is more pure and clear and there's just more, more ability to sort of touch the other side. So like a portal? Yeah, like a portal. Yeah. Okay. So I totally dig that. Yeah. So, and I also, I do think that you know, in a lot of cases too, um, the clients will report, yeah, you know, my mom or my aunt has these kinds of things happening or my dad or whatever. It, I definitely see it in like the family line a lot. Um, so I think that off that also has, you know, something to do with it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm always really grateful for that because I'm like, oh my gosh, good. You can, you can go talk to your aunt about <laughs> what you're, what's going on, you know, usually. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what kind of training do you have that helps you work with these clients? Well, I would say that 99.5% of everything that I bring into the therapy room is just because of my own therapy and going through my stuff. Um, Cause it was a lot. And I was, really working on it, you know, for a good, you know, from 2008 until, you know, through grad school. So, which was 2011, 12, 13, 14, something like that. But, um, so yeah, most of it, most of it was what I went through. Um, so that definitely, 
because I can kind of gauge where people are and I can, I can be like, Oh, I know what they feel like, or I can have a sense. I don't know what they feel like. I can just, I can, but I can sense, I think this is where they are. Um, but no. And then I, I love reading like, like, you know, I love reading about, you know, nonviolent communication, any kind of, any of those types of books are so helpful. Um, and, um, you know, just, I love, um, I love Terry real. I think I'm saying his name, right. Like with the whole couples therapy stuff mm-hmm. and family systems. Um, I don't really have like a spiritual orientation myself. I, um, if, if it's anything, it's, I'm probably like a mother nature chick. Like I, there's a benevolent other, I don't know what it is, but it's out there. And I definitely feel close to it when I'm in nature and water. Mm-hmm. So that's about the extent of my, my spiritual, uh, like where I am in that way. Oh, I am a Reiki master. Um, so, and what that looks like is for me is that have, do you, have you been Reiki trained? I have not. Okay. Um, I actually think it's really good to do, um, if you're a really sensitive person, uh, whether or not you become a Reiki person, like I don't practice Reiki in the traditional way because it can't touch people. Right. So, um, but I, to me, I believe that the, my, the energy of Reiki comes through in words. So it, it can open you, it can just kind of open you up more, um, so, so, to where you can just, in my opinion, kind of tap in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's that type of energy work? It's like, is it key? key is that? Yeah. I don't know much about that. I've heard of it, but it's really interesting. It's very interesting. Yes. Yeah. Cause you don't necessarily touch people when you do that. It's, no. it's a more manipulation of energy than anything else. Right. And it's also just kind mm. of, I think, we can use as therapists, we can use those kinds of trainings very differently than like, say other people that are going to be like very directly trained. I just, I try to go for things that will like help me either see people in a new way, like in a different perspective or, you know, just sort of, it just, it's a, it opens me up somehow in some way. Um, not so that I can say, Oh, you're, dead grandfather standing behind you or anything. It's more just like, but it, you can, but you can use those skills subtly and respectfully too. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, let's see. Yeah. So training, I mean, I think, you know, I've done a lot of, like I'm in a, I'm in a psychopomp class right now, which is like a mediumship class. So I'm taking that, um, throughout, through the summer, um, which is super interesting. Um, and then, you know, and then I'll do like the more normal CEU stuff, just like anybody else. Um, just whatever is interesting. I love learning about addiction, reading about addiction a lot. Um, I'm really passionate about that as well. So. Okay. Very cool. A lot of different trainings. Yes. So when a client who is struggling with non-ordinary experiences goes into crisis, what do these generally look like and how do you go about de-escalating these crises? Well, it's kind of like a speeding train. It's like once it's on the track, it's on the track. You know, 
it, it, it can kind of, it can mimic like a manic episode. Um, I know that's what mine looked like in the beginning. I don't have bipolar one. Um, but I remember my therapist said that that's what she thought at first, but then she didn't, she realized that's not what was going on. Um, but yeah, it looks like somebody that is just out of control. I mean, they're saying things that you've never heard them say before. They're, you know, they're just kind of, they're ungrounded and, Mm -hmm. but, um, and they don't know what to do with it. And so, um, and I've worked with a couple people that came in like that. It's more just, um, what you don't want to do is like, tell them what what they're seeing and hearing and feeling it's not real. That is, don't do that. Yeah. You know, that's so harmful. You just try to be, you just want to convey like, Hey, I'm here with you. I'm not leaving. We're going to work through this together. I don't know what it is either. Never be afraid to say you don't know what it is. Cause we really don't. Um, it's, you know, part of the mystery part and be like, look, what do you, I don't know. Like, and I'll just, you know, we just kind of sit and you just try to be that, that stable presence because, you know, who's, I mean, it's just, they can just keep going, you know, but you can kind of like talk to the family and just say, look, like, let's, let's, before we do anything, let's just, you know, maybe let me, let's meet a couple times a week um, and just see if she can kind of feel, or he get more settled and more grounded. And I mean, that's the key is to like, you want to convey that you believe them and that you're, you know, you're not gonna, um, you don't judge them and you don't Mm -hmm. think that they're crazy. Yeah. Do you ever get scared or fearful? Um, I did. I did once that I can recall. I mean, yes, there, there are, there have been a couple clients that, um, I think it was just more like, I think there was, there was one time when this is not like related to paranormal, but like I was, I did my practicum in a homeless shelter and I was talking to this woman and at some point she just like reached down and like put this huge knife on the table. And I was like, Oh my goodness. It really freaked me out inside. And I remember, um, you know, I was still in school. I remember I was like, I can't see that. I I can't see that lady anymore. I, I, I'm, I feel afraid for myself and for my own safety. So that's one instance. Um, and the other instance that comes to mind is there was this, there was this lady that came to me who thought she was possessed by some demons. And, um, and again, I'll, you know, I, I, I think a, a lot of the stuff that goes on with us, like energy wise can look like that, you know, for real. And, and who, and it may be, you know, here's, I'm not here to say that that's not true. So, um, attachments, attachments. Yeah. And she was, and I remember she was an older lady and I remember feeling uncomfortable, like more so than I ever have. And I remember kind of, I think she looked out the window. She's like, yeah, there's one right in that tree out there. And, um, I don't know, like that definitely, um, I continued to see her and I, I continue to help her. I, I don't feel like anything like followed me home or anything, but I, I do remember kind of being like, like, I think I swallowed pretty loud and like, Oh, <laughs> I hope somebody else is in this building. Cause <laughs> I might need help, but mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, but those are the only two times. Which kind of brings me a little bit to the next question. Is there anything specific you do to prepare yourself and or your space for working with clients with non-ordinary experiences? Well, yes. So, um, and I just, this is the way I live too. So this is like, if you, I mean, it's like it's the same in my office it is as in my house. Um, and this is something I also try to kind of teach clients to do is to like create rituals um, that are very personal and meaningful to them to protect the space. So for me, um, cactus, um, is, is like a plant that kind of is like that spiny plant that is, is to me just kind of is a, like a kind of a protection type of plant. Um, so I have a couple cactuses and, and pictures of cactuses. Um, and, and also, um, candlelight for me, I always work with candles, um, in my office. So I have, a candle for the client, a candle for me and a candle for the witness, just kind of in general. So those three are lit and it just kind of, I could like marking that this is like a sacred, like holy place that we're, and that we're here to hopefully provide, you know, some, um, relief from suffering and help this person get what they need. Um, and, uh, so, and I do that at home too. I have a, a time at night when I light candles and I, with the intention that, um, you know, only, you know, only beings that are like, you know, safe for us or that are loving beings are allowed in this space. That's kind of, it's kind of a rumbly way of like the intention that's behind the candles. Um, and, you know, I have smells. Um, I have this, my, um, the woman that we, I share the office space with, um, I mean, she had, we each have our own offices, but it's really cool. We, um, she's like a, like an energy worker, like she does like trauma release and she makes these amazing, um, Reiki oils and sprays and they smell incredible and they have, um, they have different like intentions behind them. So I actually use those in my home and an office as well, just to, as a, as a clearing, um, and I also, I always make sure to have a lot of plants around. I'm a very I, I'm a very plant oriented person. So, um, I think it's, it's just, it's good for air clearing and, and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't have, I'm really, we don't have magazines in our space. I kind of feel like that's can be, I don't know. It just doesn't really fit. I think with, with the vibe, um, and I don't, I'm not against magazines. It's just like, I just kind of want it to be clear of any kind of, you know, it's magazines can be kind of exploitive, you know? Sure. Yeah. Um, I did have a really sensitive person. Um, I went, I was like, I don't have any books in my office or I have very few. And that's a personal thing with me. I remember like being in my therapist's office, like always scanning all these books and being like, Oh no. Like, I don't know why. <laughs> kind of intimidated me or something. So I think I have a couple stacked up that I just, that I just have there that I'm reading, but I don't have a big bookshelf. And then the, in my office, but in the lobby, we have some books and I, one of my most sensitive clients, I was like, can you tell me like, is there any book that like bothers you, you know, um, or that, that where you feel like either shamed or, and she did, she picked, there was one and I removed it um, from, from that. Um, cause I really kind of want to create, like, we want to create a, 
a comfortable place. So, mm-hmm. and again, like this is all stuff that I can talk to clients about too, that will help them um, be more intentional and, and, and um, you know, try to have more like a healing type of space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What advice do you have for individuals who are having distressing non-ordinary experiences? Um, yeah, it can be really, really scary. Um, just what would I say? I believe you, um, they're, you know, what you're, what you're seeing and you're feeling is real. Um, not sure what's going on, but, um, it's, you know, it's something that needs to be talked about with the right person. So, Mm-hmm. Um, I would also just, you know, um, I also, you know, advocate sometimes like taking a shower and, and doing like a clearing, like may I release all that doesn't belong to me and kind of imagine it, you know, showering off and going down the drain, um, eating kind of heavy food, you know, because if you think about it, like they're all up in the air, you know? And you, so you want to bring them down, back down to earth, you know, so anything that's any activities that are grounding, like jump in the pool, um, you know, try to like incorporate, like get back in your body some, you know, any uh, uh, push up, sit ups, things like that. Gotcha. And gotcha. Also, and also just, I mean, most of the time, like, especially with teenagers, it goes away. So like, if you can kind of take it in and like wonder about it. And like a lot of times it just kind of, those things will evaporate. I'm not saying that I promise they will, but that's what can happen. It's definitely not a life sentence. Mm -hmm. What about advice for families, partners, and friends of people who have non-ordinary experiences? I would try very hard not to jump to the, Oh my God, they need to go to the mental hospital (laughs) or Mm -hmm. the inpatient setting. Um, that can be, I have a lot of people that come back from there with really traumatic. It's really hard when like you're ripped out of your home or whatever and family. Um, so just, just finding somebody that can help ground them. Um, and you know, no blaming or shaming or they are, they did not do this to themselves by any means. So, um, and just be, you know, being, try to be open because a lot of this like butts up to like a lot of conditioning that we've had, like about what's normal, what's possible, what's, you know, what's okay, what's sinful, what's, you know, are you a witch? Ooh, that's bad. Like, you know, we have all these ideas and this pushes at some of those. And so, um, but these poor people, they need help because, on the other side, there's a lot of possibility. So, um, you know, and I, I love helping the families too. So, and I have some books that I recommend. Um, there's a one called young people hearing voices. I think that's really helpful because in other countries, this stuff is not as it's, it is more normalized, you know, it's not so drama Latin, like, okay, well, so. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is there anything that I haven't asked about 
uh, non-ordinary experiences that you think would be helpful to go over a little bit? Um, um, animals can also be really helpful for these folks, um, just at, at feeling, helping them feel more peaceful and, and more grounded, um, dogs, cats, whatever they're into. Um, so that's, that's just another thing I wanted to mention. Um, You know, and there's also the folks that may have always had these kinds of experiences. Now, I was somebody that had mine happen all of a sudden. Um, but there are some people who have kind of always lived with it and just maybe not ever known how to talk about it. Um, that's another whole situation that we really didn't talk about. But um, yeah. Uh, What's important to note about working with folks who have experienced it for most of their lives? I just, I, to me, those folks are pretty interesting because I'm like, yeah, like you just so, somehow just remained quite open throughout your life. Um, you know, I would just kind of, there's not much to know, I guess. It's just sort of like, it wasn't, it wasn't like a sudden onset. So they've had more time to sort of, you know, adapt to, and kind of, I guess, integrate this way that they are, um, you know, whether mm -hmm. versus like it being thrown, but them being thrown into it. So, but you know, it, it can still be hard. You know, it could be that this person has never told anybody that has, she has these experience or he has these experiences. So they're just looking to just be like, listen to what happens to me sometimes. Mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. so. Okay. Yeah. Well, well, let's switch gears for a second to talk more okay. about you as a therapist. Okay. So uh, my first question regarding these is, what kind of experience do you have working with particularly vulnerable clients, such as those who are transgender, undocumented, or BIPOC, to name a few examples? Um, I've definitely worked with a few of them um, because, well, I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's similar in, in, in vulnerability mm -hmm. to, to those cases. Um, mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of, there's even just a higher need for more trauma-informed care and also um, letting them educate me on, well, that, that goes without saying, but I think especially in those cases, letting them educate me on what, what they've gone through, what is helpful, what is not helpful. I want to know all of those things. Um, just being open to what they've gone through as people. Um, yeah. Okay. What can a new client expect from an initial session with you? And what about on an ongoing basis? Um, well, on the first session, I always do like an hour and a half intake session where I do usually take some notes. I don't usually take notes in my session, but I definitely have to in the first session just to kind of, you know, it's a lot of information to take in and I don't want to, I don't want to forget important pieces. So um, I talk a lot about the way that I work because I have been told that that is really helpful, especially to teenagers. Um, you know, I, I will say, I don't, I'm not going to share with your parents what we talk about in the sessions. Like I really, there is a lot of people that do that and they lose a lot of teenagers that way. And so I'm really firm with the parents about that. I'm like, I'm not going to talk to you 
um, you know, this is, this is our time. Now, that being said, if the, you know, if the teen tells me something that I really do feel like their parents need to know, then I will talk, we'll talk about it together and we'll decide, you know, okay, how I, you know, this is something that your parents need to know about that you're sharing with me. How do you, what do you think? Do you want to, do you want to commit to telling them yourself? Do you want us to do it together? Like how, what feels best? So it's always a very collaborative effort um, to, and which goes a really long way with teenagers. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I talk a lot about the way that I work and also, um, you know, if I ask somebody a question, I know just like what you did with me earlier and I'm like, I don't really want to talk about that, that, okay, okay, let's switch gears. Like you're, you're in charge. So, um, you know, it's not, I think a lot of people come into therapy just being like, they have to just like sort of react to the therapist and like, do like they ask a question, I answer, like, it doesn't really have to feel like that. So, um, uh, you know, I talk about the different kinds of sessions that we can have, um, you know, if I, if, if it's, you know, a family, you know, coming in, we can do like single sessions. I can do, you know, parent child. Um, we can do all of them. There's all these different variations. Most of the time I start out with the person that's having the most distress and I work with them for a while and then we can incorporate other family members if needed. Um, if that is helpful. Uh, I really try to, oh, I let them ask about me. Um, I'm like, if you, I, I do share with clients that I have had experiences, um, like, you know, myself. And, um, so, so I do have that experiential understanding of like, sort of what it's like, you know, to be in your shoes and have these experiences, like, and how weird it feels. Um, and I, so I let them ask, I always ask about previous therapy experiences. Um, what was good? What was bad? What, what did you learn? What worked for you? What didn't work for you? Um, cause basically just kind of like taking a hit, like just a, you know, sharing about how I work and what it looks like. Um, at the beginning session, I always do, I always take, you know, write down goals. What are, what are, what are, what do you want to get out of this? Um, which, you know, can always change from time to time, but I'll, I'll kind of keep that as the focus. Like, okay, like for this client, we're really working on these three things. So I'll kind of like, you know, just sort of, I mean, it goes where it goes, right. You know, like we talk about what we need to talk about, but I do try to kind of bring it back to goals, um, just to sort of provide, um, just to kind of keep us focused and we can always change the goals. So, um, I def, I do, um, like if somebody has anxiety or depression or any of those or self-harming or suicidal thinking, um, I do a lot of like, um, just like one to 10 Likert scale stuff. Um, you know, and I take that each time and kind of track it. And I let, if it's an underage person, I let mom and dad know that I'm going to be tracking. And, um, so that's kind of the way that I, you know, just take self reports each time for, for those clients that are a little bit more like wobbly, you know? Um, but yeah, like I kind of usually just let them, if they, if they know what they want to talk about, go. And then, or I'm like, or would you just rather me ask you some questions and I'll just start the conversation? Um, you know, which of course is like, 
tell me about your family. (laughs) (laughs) Good, good question. (laughs) Yeah. What all of us therapists want to know. So, um, yeah. And, and then I always do try to, so I try to kind of, you know, and then we decide, you know, are we going to meet once a week or every other week or, you know, what's the frequency going to be? Um, and, uh, and then I usually try to give a few good coping skill nuggets for them, things to try next week. Um, you know, try this, see if this works and I'll ask you about it. So I definitely try to give them something to take with them in terms of like, Oh, okay. I'm going to, you know, try this. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. How would you say your clients would describe or experience you? Well, I know that I, (laughs) I hope to be very disarming. Um, That's my goal um, with my whole, like just sense of presence and that I'm understanding. Um, I have been told that I've, um, I'm typically go really far with the uh, misfit kids, you know, um, the kids that are, that are so anxious, they can't go to school for, you know, they, you know, they feel safe and comfortable. Um, I can also be very direct and I am not shy about telling, especially like parents, like what they need to hear sometimes. Um, And, but I mean, you know, all parents are doing their best that they can, but sometimes they just, they need a little bit of pushing and (laughs) I, I, I'm not, I'll, I'll yield the, the wield the velvet hammer, so to speak (laughs) when needed. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's so important. Yes. In fact, I had one situation where, um, a, a woman was going to, um, address some very, very personal things with her father. And they were both in the, the, my office. And I actually, um, he got so upset and was about to hit her. And I had to like, I mean, he like had a very aggressive, he was about to do something very aggressive. And I actually had to like hop in front of her. And I just said, get out, get out now. You need to leave. <laughs> so, um, that was really, that was the most intense thing I've ever gone through probably. Wow. But, um, yeah, like. And he still pays for her therapy. So, hey. <laughs> well, you left an impression. Nobody had probably know, set like, that boundary with him before. You're not going to do this in here. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. Are you a therapist who will laugh or cry with your clients? I am. Yes, I am. And that's, that's happened a lot. Um, and I will say I'm getting really emotional right now and I'm tearing up. I'll. I'll mention it. Um, yeah, I'm like, if we, we, I don't know my, my, I, to me, it makes sense that we're affected by our clients and that we show them that we're affected, um, and that how they affect us. And I'll even say, oh my gosh, I'm really, really angry on your behalf right now. I literally am fuming, you know, like if they tell me something that happened and, you know, oh yeah, for sure. And uh, yes, I'm a huge, I'm a huge humor person. Anytime you can put humor in when it's appropriate, I will. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. How do you define holding space for someone? (laughs) 
it's hard to define. It's more just the way of like how you are. Um, my inter- I did a lot of internship hours at Hospice Austin. So that was, I did a lot of like bereavement work. And I would say that was, that was a lesson in holding space for sure. Because they, you know, a lot of times would just sit, you know, clients would just want to sit and cry and, and that, you know, you, you, you're just there to be what they need, um, without, without, you know, poking in there with my own feel, my own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just kind of being what they, I know it's hard to explain Noah. Um, it is, it is, it's just like, I don't know. It's just, I think for me, it's, it's the reflecting part. Like I, you know, you know, just reflecting back, I can, I can see how upset you are. This is so devastating. You know, just, I think it's just that kind of just being more the quiet validating presence of where they are. And meeting them where they're at, like you had talked about earlier. Right. Yes. Um, I'm not opposed to like holding hands with somebody if I feel like it would help um, or like, like touching their shoulder or any of that stuff. Um, I think sometimes that can be really comforting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Holding space is one of those things that we all say, and we all really mean like essentially the same thing, but we all describe it like differently, but it, but it means the same thing. I don't know. It's, it's been interesting. All the questions, all the answers I've gotten to that question over time. Well, Um, And that's challenging. I'm sure like you can relate because like, you know, as a therapist brain, our brains are always going like, we're like, what next? What next? Where are we going? And I mean, that requires it to just like, you got to like shut that down for a while and you just have to just be with, be this person's kind of, you know, nervous system for lack of a better word. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What is the best advice you've ever received from a supervisor or spiritual teacher or guide? Mm-hmm. So the first thing that comes to mind, I had a lot of that. First thing that comes to mind was at St. Edwards when um, this was said by Dr. Sunny Lansdale, who um, she taught human growth and development. She was also a really great therapist and a supervisor. Um she was really cool because she would get really um, like animated and let herself kind of be taken with her teaching, which I thought it was really cool that she would do that. She would get like emotional and but in a really good way. It's very effective. And um, she really cared a lot. It was very obvious. And um, this was just for me, something that spoke to me personally. Uh, we were talking about the teenage years and she said um, the more, and I remember she said this was such conviction. And I remember it like, I think I even got chills or something. It just like went all through me. She said, the more you can allow your teens to like do what they need to do and like, you know, experience what they need to experience in those years and do not take it personally, the better off they will be as adults. And I remember being like, okay. Oh, (laughs) like, wow. (laughs) Like it just, it was just, it's something very simple, but I really felt like, you know, it was, it was just powerful knowledge and it, and it has, I've thought of it, you know, it's helped me with my own children raising, and it's also helped me working with teens, you know? So, um, 
I also, one time I, another really valuable piece of advice was, um, said by a priest, um, at the time when I was having like the really big crisis stuff going on, um, I didn't know where to turn. And I, we were members of St. David's Episcopal church downtown. And, um, I, since a lot of the stuff I was seeing and hearing was kind of like, you know, had spiritual elements to it. I went to talk to one of the priests there and her name was Mary. She was, I felt comfortable with her and I just, you know, it was just, I, I just looked like I had no idea what was going on. I was just like, I don't know what to do with all this. And I just remember like, so I went in, I think they can talk to us like three times. Um, and then you have to go to like an actual therapist. But um, we were talking about, I think it was like the, um, at the time I was married and um, he like, you know, he had a lot of anger and all of this. Um, I don't think of how she put it. She said two things to me. She said, and I'd never had someone talk this way to me. She said, um, somebody's anger is always there for a good reason. And I was like, oh, okay. Like I'd always thought that anger was bad, you know, a bad thing, you know, or a scary thing. And it just, I remember like it helped me like drop into a more compassionate mm-hmm. space about what is anger, you know? Um, and cause my, I think we were just, my spouse and I were fighting a lot at the time. So I was like, and I was, oh, and I grew up in a household with, you know, um, my dad had a pretty bad temper. So I was, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff scares me, um, or did scare me. And then she also said, she also said something like he talking about my my husband and I, he's a bully and you're a wimp and neither one of them are godly. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I don't know. It was like, it's kind of funny, but, um, but that hit me as well. I was like, damn straight. Okay. Like, I don't know. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, I had a, my, um, my stuff was related to some sexual abuse stuff that had happened a long time ago. Um, and I remember, um, I think I had mentioned that to one of the priests there and he actually said, Lisa, you know, the same thing happened to me and I had never had anyone talk that way to me or like be that revealing. And I just remember being like, from that moment, I will, I was like, I'm going to be okay. I was in terrible shape at the time, but I was like, wow, like you, I can be okay. Like, look at this person. Mm-hmm. It's okay. So mm-hmm. that was really, um, so I do, I, I'm, I find disclosure, a lot of therapists will disagree with me. I find disclosure that is appropriately timed to be huge, huge. I agree. Yeah. And it's not when it's, I'm not making it about me. I, I'm literally like, you're not alone. Mm-hmm. So I, that's what I felt. And it's also encouraging because the person feels like absolute crap. So, you know, anyway. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I appreciate when therapists self-disclose. I mean, you know, in a therapeutic way. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. And my own therapist did that for me too. And again, it had very therapeutic benefits. I was just like, oh my gosh, you're a human. You've had horrible things happen. Oh my, you know, it just was like, you really understand. Like, Mm -hmm. so I, um, 
for me, it was always, I had very positive experiences like of therapists and, or people, you know, who were in kind of higher positions than me disclose. So, okay. Well, thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. What have you personally learned about yourself and or the world through your practice? Um, I think just the most general thing that I could say is just that, you know, there are so many, so many ways of expressing our humanness, like infinite ways, and none of them are wrong or bad or, you know, it's just, it's like, there's just so many varieties of our, and ways that we express you know either what we've been through like just in general not even what we've been through just who we are um what have i learned about myself i mean kind of everything because when i went through that whole crisis thing i had to re i had to reassess my whole life from the very beginning so um that was something i had to do prior to working as a therapist um And I certainly don't think that like, you know, there was work I did along the way too. So it's not like you have to make sure that everything is done because that's really not possible. But um, definitely, I really think therapists need to spend a significant amount of time on the other side of the couch before. I just think it just helps, you know. I can never trust a therapist who hasn't done therapy themselves. I, I feel the same way. I feel the same way. It would just, I would be like, I don't, yeah. Like you've never been to therapy. So how do you know? Like, how do you even. I just feel like that in and of itself, like skews the power dynamic, the way it's perceived, even if just by the therapist themselves. Right. No, I agree. Yep. So what do you do to take care of yourself, Lisa? Um, well, I'm. So I grew up an only child and, um, so I'm kind of, I'm pretty naturally introverted. Um, like, I mean, I love being around people, but it's, I like being around small groups. And, um, so I just have to, I just kind of have to take care of myself and make sure that I'm, I have kind of my own time each day just to sort of wind down and lay down and just do what I need to do. Um, So I like my, my private time. Um, I just try to keep a somewhat regular schedule, you know, seven or eight hours of sleep a night. You know, I try to, I kind of subscribe to the whole like intuitive eating way of, of eating. So I, um, you know, I try to listen to myself and about when I need to eat and what and all of that. I don't, I don't not on a diet at all, or I don't, I eat pretty much everything. (laughs) Um, you know, doing my rituals like candles and um, just taking care of myself, like knowing that I, um, you know, I think to me the, like one of the, just the biggest markers of, of healing is when you can really like just reclaim kind of like yourself. And like, you know, if you've had hard, hard times in childhood, will you reclaim, will you reclaim like that? Like it's your right. And so, I mean, 
doing fun things like playing, laughing, being silly. You know, um, I'm a really silly person. Like if people knew what I did, like at home, they'd be like, Oh, (laughs) probably really embarrass people. (laughs) But, um, it's funny. I'm just really goofy dancing. I like to have music on, um, TV can be really, TV is a double-edged sword sometimes for me. I love good stories. I love watching, um, but it can be kind of overwhelming to my psyche. So I, a lot of times I just turn the music channels on um, and then I just have the same way. watching shows. Yeah. It's rare that I watch, like if I watch TV, it's either like true crime or unsolved mysteries. Yeah. Um, anything outside of that, I don't like, I'm not a fan of fiction. I don't really like fiction in books or, you know, TV. Um, so if I watch stuff, it's all, you know, real life based stuff. Real life stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But mostly, most of the time I just kind of keep some music on in the background and just kind of hang out and yes. do stuff around the house. Yes. Oh, I, I do like to kind of like tidy up spaces. Like I'll, you know, that can be kind of like a winding down activity mm-hmm. for me. Um, I need to be moving my body around more. I'm, I'm a little bit more on the not doing that right now <laughs> so much. Um, but I try to get out. Like I do like yoga and stretches and walking. Cool. So, yeah. How would you define happiness? Oh, I have one more thing to add to that list. I do, oh, sure, I do get regular massages. Oh, nice. Yeah, I find that to just be like, that's like my gift. I'm like, I just love it. It helps me so much. I'm jealous. <laughs> it feels so good. And it just, it helps. Um, how do I define happiness? I think just to me, it just means being content. I think those are kind of synonymous words to me. Um mm-hmm. you're kind of in a place of acceptance. Um, I don't know. I have to say I'm not like a huge fan of that word because I think, I don't know. Cause it kind of sounds fairy tale E sort of happiness. But then again, like, um, you know, being joyful and laughing and dancing and all of that is gosh, that's like, that's living. So I think, I think just being content. Okay. Yeah. Now next question is a little bit vulnerable as vulnerable as if all of these haven't already been vulnerable. Um, What is the most embarrassing moment you've had as a clinician? Okay. Let me think about that for a minute. I've had a few. Um, well, the one that one comes in my, I, I know I've called people by the wrong names and that's, I, that's not good. <laughs> and I get pretty embarrassed. Yeah. That is embarrassing. I've had, that's happened to me before. Um, it's hard for me to say because I don't know that I have, the times that I'm remembering are not so much that was embarrassing. It was more like I started to feel like shame or something. Um, 
And when I start to feel shame, like my face, I get like hot, like my face gets like, I just like burn and like my face gets really red. And, um, I just, I get, I feel vulnerable, like in those moments with clients and I'm like, Oh geez. Like, um, and I think that can feel embarrassing to me, to be honest. Um, you know, cause I'm either, I'm either feeling it's most, I don't think it's feeling their shame. It's feeling I'm, when I'm at, when my shame is triggered mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason. And you just, I just, I feel kind of exposed. So that can be kind of uncomfortable and embarrassing in a session. I can see that. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I've done some really embarrassing things. <laughs> um, I got it. All right. This is bad. I mean, I don't, I mean, I, um, I don't know if you've ever had something like this happen, but this was like an every other week client. And, um, you know how sometimes like when, like, I don't know, like if you write in like your every other week clients and then like what, then they cancel and then they want to come in the next week. And then that sets everything. I don't know. So, Anyway, it was one of those kinds of circumstances. And um, I think it happened like twice with someone. Oh my gosh. I also, you know, yeah, it happens once. And then it happened again. And it was just, I, I was, she called me and I was actually like on a vacation. And I was like, why is she calling me? And then I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, she left me a message. And she was like, yeah, I'm at your office. It's like 410 or whatever. I'm like, and I'm in the beach or something. I was like, oh my gosh, I did it again. So yes, I'm human. I really messed up. And um I was horribly embarrassed. Yeah. I yeah, I, I, I tried to, I wrote her an email afterwards and I um I offered like I think I I tried to remedy it and say next session's free, whatever, and you know, ham whatever. And uh, yeah, she was like, um, going somewhere else. (laughs) I I know. And I really enjoyed working with this woman. It was, she was great. Um, but it was, yeah, it's like, yeah, we, we are human and we mess up sometimes. So yeah, we do. We do. I'm bad. I'm like, Oh God, she's probably telling stories about her therapist that screwed up the calendar twice. (laughs) I've double booked myself, uh, before. And that was pretty awful because both showed up at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> oh yes that's poor yes <laughs> so i can relate <laughs> that's funny i've been i've been double booked i've been double booked my therapist double booked me so but i've never done it and i was cool with it i'm like it happens yeah no i mean and when it comes i mean we're therapists we're not you know business administrative people a lot of us you know right um, and it's a lot to manage. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Well, Lisa, is there anything else you think would be good for a potential client or other therapists to know about you or non-ordinary experiences? Okay, so I want to just give credit where credit is due. The term yeah. non-ordinary experiences came from a woman that I went to grad school with named Nicole Gruel. 
Um, and, um, she was actually getting her PhD and I was one of her researchees and she wrote a book and she kind of coined that phrase, non-ordinary experiences. And I remember I was like, what a great way to describe those. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so, um, anyway, that's, um, she lives in Australia, I believe. So really super cool chick. Um, but anyway, that's where that term came from. And I've just wanted to make sure that I credited her for that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's good of you. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think, no, I think that's it. I'm good. Thanks for being on the show, Lisa. You're welcome. The next Thank you for listening to Next Quest Podcast. I learned something new today, and I hope you did too. Stay tuned for next week's episode featuring Daniel Linder, licensed marriage and family therapist, who will be discussing his practice in an area of specialty, the effects of stigma and the internalization of social conditioning on mental health. Next Quest Podcast is sponsored by Jan Dimmitt Resources. Save yourself the time and stress of credentialing and let the experts at Jan Dimmitt Resources do what they do best. For over 20 years, Jan Dimmitt Resources has provided administrative support and credentialing services to mental health professionals in Texas and beyond. Visit their website at jandimmitt.com. That is J-A-N-D-I-M-M-I-T-T.com or call 512-731-5725 for more information on all the ways they can make running your practice easier for you. NextQuest Podcasts relies solely on donations to keep this project going. Please consider becoming a patron on my Patreon page at www.patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash NextQuestPodcast, or you can make a one-time donation on my website at www.nextquestcounseling.com slash aboutnextquestpodcast. You can also support the podcast by liking our Facebook page. Until next question, this is Noah Garcia signing off.